Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Welcome to Raising Good Humans. I'm Dr. Aliza Pressman. And today I want to talk about, I don't even know if we should call it re-entry because this is a whole new adventure into this kind of loosening of the shelter in place that's going on in different places. But it's not re-entry into the world as we know it. It's a new kind of existence. And that is very much a transition for little ones and for big ones. So I just want to go through what we know about research from other natural disasters or events that have occurred that have required this kind of shift in our culture and use that to give you some tips on how to have as smooth a transition as possible with the understanding that none of this is going to be seamless. It's all new. And I'm just here to give some tips and some support to try to address what we do know will make things easier. First, I want to thank our sponsor, Healthy Nest. Go to healthynesting.com to order the most soft, delicious, environmentally sound, in fact, environmental working group approved, the only ones, diapers on the market and wipes and other home products. That's healthynesting.com. And now here are my 15 tips for transitioning ahead. The first one, and I bet anybody who's listened to me before can guess, is to take a moment during this transition to assess how you feel about it. Kind of take a deep breath. I love a four count breath in and a four count breath out and ask yourself how you're feeling about entering back into a little bit more freedom, how you feel if you're going to be going back into work in the workplace, what it's feeling like to send your kids into an environment with other people. If you're debating because you have an option, what you're going through and really check in with yourself because that's going to be the most important tone set for your kids on how they're going to do. And remember, the second tip I have is go easy on yourself. This is not going to be like, okay, this is how I'm going to manage this. And this is the structure of how the summer is going to go. And that's that. It's definitely going to be a work in progress. You're going to make some mistakes. You're going to see how your kids are feeling, how you're feeling and go from there. So always take a beat and have that self-compassion. And whenever you want to be mean to yourself or question yourself or make yourself feel bad for being unsure of how to 
steer this ship that you're in charge of in such an uncertain time, remember that when that voice in your head has compassion, even though nobody else can hear that voice talking to you inside your own head, make that voice the same voice you wish upon your kids you know, to hear in their own heads when they're criticizing themselves or making plans for themselves as they get older. Because when you model self-compassion, your kids are more likely to treat themselves that way. So do it for them, if not for you, and you'll benefit. The next tip is, of course, to set a somewhat of a list of what is certain and what is uncertain about the coming months. Now, we cannot go all the way ahead to what the school year will bring because we have no idea. So remember, you want to embrace uncertainty, let uncertainty know that you are able to handle it and that it's going to be okay, but it's going to be difficult. And that way, you're not trying to fight the uncertainty. You're trying to operate with the little information that you have and making the best decisions possible. So remember to know that you can make a list of what you are completely sure of and what you are not sure of during this time. That list is going to come in handy with your kids when you talk to them about what they are certain of and what they are not certain of. For example, they are certain you are their mommy or daddy. They are certain that you are going to read two books before bed or whatever your tradition is. They are certain that they're going to have breakfast in the morning. You know, what are the things that we absolutely know are true and in our control? And what things do we not know? So once you have accepted uncertainty, now remember that that's a little bit like accepting anxiety because you basically have to know that when things are not clear, when they're uncertain, you're going to have a natural and appropriate anxiety you're going to have a stress response. Just accept that you will and then work on how adaptive your stress response is so that you don't waste your time being mad at yourself for not knowing what's going on or feeling unregulated or dysregulated. What you want to do is find the ways to make yourself feel in some ways more regulated but not completely, you know, stressed out about the fact that you're not all one ball of peace and love. And that way your kids are going to feed off of that. If you're not anxious for them to go out into the world, if you're not anxious for yourself, again, they're looking to you. Deal with one worry at a time. So you want to get everybody in your family who has any worries, and you can tell because you can just take the temperature. If your kids don't give you indicators as to whether or not they're feeling worried and everything seems pretty smooth with them, they're probably fine. But it's appropriate to check in with them and say, hey, you know, for example, I'm going to start going back into work and I just want to check in and see how you're feeling. Because I know that's really different from what we've been doing before. So you could teach your kids and yourself to deal with one worry at a time by doing a little exercise where you write down your worries and you separate them into columns. One is a column of productive worries. Those are worries you can control. You can do something about them. An example of a productive worry is, 
if you are worried that when you go to the grocery store, your hands are going to get dirty and you're going to have germs on your hands, you can wash your hands and that worry can go away. And no, don't touch your face. So that's a productive worry because there's something you could do about it. Then there are unproductive worries like worrying about if you're going to get COVID-19. That's not a productive worry because you can't control anything that's outside of your control. So spend less time on unproductive worries and just accept that they're uncomfortable and focus on, okay, but what can we control? And that's where you make those lists with yourself and then you make them with your kids if they're exhibiting any worries. And their worries might be much smaller seeming, but they're still worries. Like they might worry, will mommy put me to bed tonight? And they might worry, will grandma get sick? So one of those is a productive worry. Guess which one? And one of them is unproductive. Now, the one thing I will say about the productive worry, which if you guessed right, it's that mommy will put me to bed tonight. That's productive because you could do something about that. You can say, hey, mom, are you putting me to bed tonight? The one thing that I would say is if your child has a productive worry, but you can't fix it, even though, yes, they can control to a certain extent how certain it is, like let's say you actually can't put them to bed, it's still a productive worry in that they can get certainty. You can say to them, I am not putting you to bed tonight, but here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you my shirt and I'm going to write you a little note because I know that it's been so nice being able to put you to bed every single night and now I won't be there. So that is something they can do something about. Then the next tip I have is to really know the statistics in your particular community and in your particular household in terms of your risk level, in terms of your age, health, who you interact with, and the level of issue that your particular community has in terms of the virus. And that way you have a clear picture so that you can answer clearly for your kids. It's important not to watch the news in front of kids. It's important to get your news sources in limited chunks of time from reliable places because the news is really, you know, I say this a lot, but it's there to attract viewers to continue watching and to feel like they have to keep watching. It's kind of addictive, but it's super maladaptive to just sit and watch the news all day because it can really freak you out. And then your entire vibe, not to get too hokey, but your vibe, and it's really physics, like what's happening is happening and your kids are going to see it. So if you get freaked out and you're watching the news or they know that you're like, don't say anything, the news is on. There is something about that that's very urgent and that can feel very stressful. So get a hold of the statistics, get a hold of how you're going to consume news, and then give your children bite-sized and appropriate information in ways that are important for them to be aware of. And actually, when you map it out with statistics, it's much less scary than when you tell individual sad tales or focus on the tragedy and trauma of all of this. Now, as kids get older, and certainly teenagers, you have very little control over what they're going to watch or see, but you have total control over your policy in the house of not turning the news on in front of the kids. And if you do that, 
it's probably going to put you in a better position to model that way you're consuming news. And then you can share with older kids and teens the articles that you think are really helpful. And remember, images are scarier than thoughts and things that you read. So images are the last thing that people need to see when they're trying to remain functioning and calm. The next tip I have is to talk about the future in a positive way. Now, I'm not talking about the future where you're talking about the global economy or the lives that have been affected or anything macro. I'm talking about the small things that you can do to discuss with your kids what they are looking forward to as shelter-in-place rules are at a minimum lightened or lessened. And for some people, really changing quite a bit. So you might fantasize like, what am I looking forward to most? You know, talk about your favorite restaurant. Maybe that's going to open up. If you know that that restaurant is going to shut down because of economic problems, don't talk about that restaurant. But for the most part, talk about the future positives of what you're excited about going forward that you can't do now, but you know it's coming at some point. I also encourage you to go over with your kids the things that you're going to take away from this time together that are positive, the kinds of new rituals and routines that you like. Now, if I asked my kids, I'm sure they'd be like, I want to continue the tradition of a lot of movie nights that we never had, or we never watched television during the week. And now at least twice a week, I would say we've had movie nights during the weekdays. That's a big special treat for us. And I'm pretty sure that's going to be a hard one for my kids to pull back from. So your kids might really want to talk about the benefits of the experience they had, some new family routines and rituals that were really enjoyable. That doesn't mean you have to do all of them. They might not be realistic, but certainly list them and talk through what can you still keep in your lives, even when things go back to whatever normal is normal. My next tip is to use empowering language, optimistic language, instead of disempowering or pessimistic language. Now, I'm not talking about glass half full, holly hobby stuff. I'm just talking about instead of saying doom and gloom things like nothing's ever going to be the same. And I just really want to warn you guys that the world's going to be pretty bleak. People are going to be in masks. It's going to be really different. Camp, if you're going to camp, is going to be distant and difficult. I understand where it comes from. It's setting kids up for the reality. But there's a way to say things in a more empowering way, which is it's going to be really strange to wear masks so often. You know, we've been home so much we haven't had to. I wonder what it's going to be like. I wonder how we're going to let people know that we're happy to see them. Adding I wonder or a curiosity versus I'm certain this is going to be terrible is a way to empower kids and yourself to go through this experience in a way that will inevitably lead to more resilience. One thing that I want to stress, that I always stress, so this is an evergreen concept, but hear it again, which is accept all feelings. I say all feelings are welcome, all behaviors are not. There is not going to be a right way or a wrong way to feel during these changes because it's normal to have whatever feelings you're having. So if kids have big feelings, try not to minimize them. Make sure that they know how to cope with those big feelings. 
but don't try to get rid of them or tell them that they're ridiculous. At the same time, if kids don't have big feelings or if they think a lot of this is silly or funny, it's okay to let them sit through that. You don't have to go through the long list of horrors that have happened and how insensitive they're being. They might just be having their own way of reacting and dealing. They can feel however they want to feel. Now, if they go into a store and see people wearing masks and they're laughing hysterically and it seems like maybe it's insensitive to other people, that's a behavior that they can work on. But they're allowed to think that it's funny. It's totally natural. And the next tip is almost a requirement for anybody trying to get through anything is to make sure that you have your basic gas tank filled. So that means adequate sleep, adequate exercise, adequate outdoor time, and healthy food. Something very tricky during this time because we are prone to sleeping less, eating junk food, being much more sedentary, etc. Very important to give that regular fuel, keep a full tank so that you're there and able to respond best to the stress and strangeness that's thrown at you. A lot of people say, you know, that they have a problem with the idea of putting your oxygen mask on first because it feels selfish, or the idea that you should in any way take 20 minutes out of your day to get a little bit of exercise because your kids need you most of all right now. The truth is you cannot be there for your kids in your best form if you haven't done those things for yourself. So truly, truly, I'm not saying it flippantly, you really want to put your oxygen mask on first or you cannot serve your kids. It feeds you to be good to your kids. You cannot be good to your kids without being good to yourself. So do your best. You'll fail some days, you'll succeed other days, but do make an effort because it really does make a difference. Okay, now here's one that is important for entering the world in this new transition. We've kind of been keeping our kids at home and really it's been a long time. And now we're saying, okay, we're going to not be in this sort of lockdown period. We're going to have a little bit more freedom. Be prepared to answer their questions. And that's where knowing the statistics is going to be very helpful. And be prepared for them to be a little bit confused. And it's okay for you to say, you know, I don't know some of these things I'm learning and I'm telling you as soon as I find out. So that's okay because when you find out new information, you can reassure your kids, I'm going to share it with you and we're going to learn this together. And you can acknowledge, I know it's really hard. I don't even like not knowing. It makes me sometimes feel a little bit like I get a little butterfly in my stomach or whatever you, you know, depending on your kid's age. That's not what you would say to a teenager, but it's what you would say to a little one. So you can just let them know that it's there, that uncertainty, and you're not going to pretend it's not. That's also why it's good to, again, check in with how they're doing, walk down the street, and just even if they're not mentioning the masks, say, I'm just wondering how you're feeling about people wearing masks. I think about it and here's what I've been feeling if they don't say anything. But if they are saying something, you're going to get new information. And it's just, it's about acknowledging what they're seeing versus pretending it's not there if there's no problem. An important thing to remember is this tip. Children go right to their primary source of safety when they feel threatened. So right now, 
What makes you feel threatened? Uncertainty. What makes you feel threatened? Trying to go out into this new transition in the world, but not knowing exactly what it means or how to interact in a new way, socially distant with masks or without, and you know, however many feet apart. So kids may tend to cling to you more or have a little bit more trouble with separation. You might even notice your teenagers like that. While they naturally should be going away, are a little bit clingier or just need a little more reassurance. It's very appropriate to go towards your safe haven when you're feeling threatened. So they're coming towards you. You just want to be patient with separation. You don't have to push yourself too far out of the comfort zone too quickly. So this can be a slow sort of transition. And that way, you don't have to burn yourself out and you don't have to burn your kids out where they're trying to be bold and courageous and brave for many hours a day, many days a week. This is a very slow time, a slow transition, and that's totally appropriate. Again, with all things, you acknowledge the feelings that are there, you give kids reassurance. But in this case with separation, I'm not saying don't do it at all. I'm just saying help them get through it and expect that it may be a little trickier. Always plan fun things. This is going to be harder for the younger kids because there's nothing better than delicious time with your family all the time. It's only as kids get older that they start to really miss their friends. The younger kids, even though they they say they might miss their friends, their real place in the five and under set is the home life and knowing exactly where mommy and daddy are or mommy and mommy or daddy and daddy or mommy or just daddy, exactly where your primary caregiver is at all times is a major luxury for young kids. So this will be bigger for them if they start to sense that this is the end of this beautiful secret time they had together. So it's something you want to keep in mind and plan fun things, put them on the calendar. You know, you want to try things like slow transitions out and then put on the calendar like, oh, look, we're still having family game night Friday night. That didn't go anywhere. And I'm so excited to look forward to that. Remember that having structure is really important to feeling secure. Since there isn't a lot of structure over the summer anyway, and it's super important, obviously, to have unstructured play, but you can structure it by saying, this block of time is for unstructured play. So you want to have a written schedule of what to expect Monday through Friday, even Monday through Thursday, just something that gives containment to the freedom of summer so that your kids have a safe haven and they know what to look to for certainty and they have some predictable things in their lives that will help them get through these changes. And we know that kids who have sensitive, loving, predictable caregiving do better. Another tip is if you are going back into the working world and you have previously been at home, make sure that you let your kids have details about how your day is gonna go with more information than they would usually get In other words, tell them what you're doing for lunch. Tell them what your day is going to look like. Things that you just would not bother talking about. You might even send pictures of what your office looks like now, or if you work in a healthcare setting, what's going on there. Because 
kids' imaginations can get pretty intense, especially given the tone of conversation in our society. So given that, giving them concrete ways to imagine what your life is like and know what you're doing is going to be helpful. And you'll be able to tell them the precautions you're taking to keep your body safe and to keep other people's bodies safe. So that's going to be very important to reassure them that even though things are changing and you are going back to work, that everybody is doing very concrete things that science has told us to take care of each other and ourselves so that you can safely go back to work. So my last tip is to remember when you are there for your kids with loving support and sensitivity and also with appropriate boundaries, meaning kind of rules and expectations, your kids are going to be resilient. This is not to place blame on parents if there is a problem. It's to give you that sense of peace that no matter what's going on, you do have power to control how they respond to stress. So even if they're anxious, your loving support with structure and boundaries is going to make a huge difference for them. So I know this is a really crazy time. Please keep sending in questions and DM me on at Raising Good Humans podcast and have a wonderful week.